This is Mark Gerson, and I'm the rabbi's husband. Hello, thank you for tuning in. I'm Mark Gerson, and I'm the rabbi's husband. And here, as ever, to unearth the inspiring, instructive, and highly practical wisdom of a Torah passage with a fellow seeker of biblical truth. And I am delighted today to be joined by my great friend, Pastor George Seawright II, who I met on an Eagle's Wings trip in Jerusalem a year ago. Pastor Seawright has planted churches, the Lifetime Church in Orlando, the Revival City Church in New Jersey, and uh, currently leads them. And I have been honored to speak at Revival City Church in what was uh, just a a beautiful Sunday afternoon and a great experience. So uh, it's great to have you here today, uh, Pastor C. Wright, on The Rabbi's Husband. Yes, good to be here. Thank you so much. Okay, so your chosen passage is Numbers 13. It's the uh, story of God and Moses uh, sending spies or scouts, we'll discuss that, into the land, and, and then what happens uh, subsequently. So tell us uh, what happens in Numbers 13 and why it's significant to you. Absolutely. So yes, Numbers, uh, one of my favorite passages uh, that teaches us and talks to us about this wilderness experience that the children of God encountered. There's three main points when we look at Numbers, of course, in Sinai, Paran, and Moab. And so here we are in Numbers 13, where they are in Paran, and Moses gathers a group of guys together And he says, hey, guys, I want you to go and spy out the land of Canaan, this land that God had promised. And so they go and they spy out the land. They have actually a good time in in that journey and going and and checking out the land there. And and they see some big fruit, you know, and and they're enjoying it. Um, At the same time, they saw some some giants there in the land and around the land of the, uh, the sons of Anak. And so they come back after about 40 days there spying out the land and that whole area there. Uh, they come back and they tell Moses, now these spies, I believe it was about 12 of them, 10 of them had a negative report right. saying that, uh, man, this, this may not be the best thing for us to do. It is what God has promised, but, uh, but there's going to be some opposition there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Joshua and Caleb, they rise up and they remind us that uh, when, when it comes to God's promises, that uh, he gives us the strength that we need. And so they get up and they say, hey, guys, we are well able to do what God has put on our hearts to do and possess the land that God has already given us. Uh, and so that's the, the gist of the chapter there. Um, but there are so many different points there within that that speaks to me personally. Yes, there's so much here, and I'm so glad you chose this passage. And at the very beginning, it's so interesting. Now, this passage is often called the sin of the spies, but it seems like in no way were they spies. They were not operating surreptitiously. They were were, were leaders. It says, uh, send forth men, if you please. This is God to Moses. If you please, meaning if you want to, you don't have to. But if you insist, send forth men and send forth leaders. Yes, yes. Those aren't spies. It's like my uh, nine-year-old son said when we studied this. He said it would be like if the Golden State Warriors wanted to learn about another team, would they send out Steph Curry? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, they didn't send out. They sent out the starters, right? They didn't 
They sent out the famous people, literally, the, 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 yes, the people, the men of name, the people who were well-known, they sent out the leaders. This was a PR mission. It wasn't a spy mission. It was to go there, see how great the land is, come back and educate everybody as to how we should muster the courage and go and fulfill God's promise and take this wonderful land. But they came back, as you said, with the opposite report. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and one thing, you know, to me, what makes the Torah such a powerful book, more than just a historical text, it is a historical text, but what makes it life for for us, those who study it, is that it's a sign and a wonder. These things that we read, it's a sign of who God is and the ability that God has to move in our lives, especially when he's nudging us and when he's leading us to go into, into, you know, they took a two week trip and, and turned it into a 40 year journey. That's right. Uh, you know, and so they were now going in. And what I love about verse, verse number 17, 18, then Moses sent them these great leaders out to the land of Canaan. And he said to them, go up this way into the south and up into the mountains, verse 18, and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many. Verse 19, good or bad, and inhabitants, if, check and see if it's like camps or, or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor. He, then he encourages them again and he says, but be of good courage, be of good courage. And also bring back some fruit. And what what I got there, where I really felt like God was saying to them, and he's also saying to us is first, I want you to just see the possibilities. I want you to just go there and just see the possibilities, right? He's like saying, guys, I want you to go and let's dream according to what God is nudging us to do. He's leading us through this wilderness, you know, so go ahead and and just, just dream, just see what it's like, see the possibilities. And he said in verse 20, be of good courage. Don't get discouraged when you're there. Just go see the land because Moses, I'm sure, probably understood that whenever you're going into a new land and and new territory, you know, there's going to be some opposition there. You know, nothing in life, right? Not just in spiritual, but also in the natural, nothing in life comes easy. But he begins there and he just says, go see what it's like and just see the possibilities, see what God is up to dream again. That's what I kind of took from that. Right. You know, that that we ought to continue to let our imagination to allow God to, to take part in what he gave us. And I believe that is our imagination to see and to dream big and to keep pursuing the thing that uh, God has put in our hearts to do. And that's that's kind of one thing that I had saw there, right there in that text when he says, man, I want you to just go out there and see what it's like. Absolutely. And they fail in their mission really for one fundamental reason, which is revealed in the text. And this is in 1333 when they said, there are the Nephilim, the son of the giants among the Nephilim. We were like grasshoppers in our eyes and so we were in their eyes. So they saw themselves as grasshoppers. And with that self-conception, that it was over. When you see yourself as a grasshopper, everyone else is going to see you as a grasshopper. You're certainly going to perceive it that way. And you lose all agency. You lose all ability to do anything, even which is directly ordained by God. When you see yourself as a grasshopper, the Torah is teaching us, you render yourself incapable. You will never be able to overcome anything in life if you can't overcome first how you see yourself. And the amazing thing is he says in verse 17, 18, 19, and 20, 
He says, I want you to get the right perspective. I want you to go see it. And I want you to gain the right perspective because I don't know if he knew this at the very moment, but it was their perspective that was going to, to speak to the others who were coming behind to say, okay, we are well able to do this. So he says, just go and get the right perspective so that we can all be encouraged. And, and so, you know, the tour is telling us there that, listen, it's, what is your perspective? How do you see yourself? Because how you see yourself is going to uh, eventually affect how we all see you and then how we all begin to see ourselves, especially leaders, right? Leaders in the corporate specter, leaders in our homes as, as husbands, as men. And even if you're single, you're still a leader on your job and in your industry. And it's all about how you see yourself um, that, that's going to speak to how people are going to perceive you. Uh, and ultimately, it's also going to speak to those who are behind you and coming and looking to you for leadership. And so that's that's where it all fell down when they made the decision for the giants. And, and the irony of the story is that in the book of Joshua, which, of course, is after the five books, but the book yes. of Joshua is when when we finally do arrive in the land and we actually do send two spies, not scouts, but spies and two spies go and they're rescued and protected by the prostitute. And she says to them, you guys were feared. We feared you. Oh, yes, yes, yes. That's so good. Yeah. That's the irony. The irony is they say we were like grasshoppers in their eyes, but the prostitutes telling them like it actually was. She said, no, no, we feared you. And then she gave the evidence and she talked about all the battles that the Jews had won previously and were known in the world. And it was because of those battles that these 12 spies were feared. But because they saw themselves yeah. grasshoppers in their own eyes, they reversed it. And as you said, sentenced their people to 38 more years in the desert. Wow. That, that, that's, that's so amazing. It's so true that we determine the size of the mountain in our life, right? When we're on our way somewhere, there's always going to be mountains. There's going to be hills, things we got to climb. And we determine the size of it. You know why? Because we determine whether it's a, a mountain or it's a stepping stone. That's a great point. A mountain or a stepping, right. That's Yeah. Right. And we determine the size of it. You know, and if you want to say, hey, man, we can't do it, we're, we're not able, you know, it's, it's great, but there's going to be some opposition. Or you can be like Joshua and Caleb and say, no, it's a stepping stone. It's another opportunity for God to show up. Just think, they just, they just experienced God at Mount Sinai. Like, they've just been encountering... The Within the last two years, it was in all of their recent memory, they, had, they saw God at Mount Sinai, and they had won plenty of military victories in the intervening two years. Yeah, yeah. And yet they somehow see themselves as grasshoppers and they're in Kipple. Now, another interesting thing here is that Caleb, now there is some disagreement on this, but I am convinced that Caleb is a Gentile because he's constantly introduced as Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. And we know from Genesis, I believe 15, but certainly early Genesis, that the Kenizzites were pre-Abrahamic people. They were Gentile people. So the person yes. who was able to have the most vision and to identify to the people who they really were and what was really going on was the outsider. Absolutely. It was the perspective of the outsider, the Gentile who understood the Jews better than we understood ourselves. Absolutely. And you are the one who reminded me of this when you came to our church and you talked about how both Jew and Gentile have been working together throughout history to bring forth a manifestation of God's promises and his word. And, and so we see that again and again, a uh, time after time. And, uh, and I'm just so, I, I just so believe that even in these moments right here, it's so prophetic based on what we've seen in the precedence of God's word, us coming together 
all sons of God, right? Sons of Abraham. We we all believe. And so this is uh this is what makes it even more, I believe, more powerful that we can say to each other that we are well able to do it, that God has been on our side all this time and he is not have he doesn't have any plans on leaving us on this one. And we must always be encouraged. And that's be and just notice. That becomes Joshua, you know, uh, it becomes his mantra, be of great courage, be of great courage. That's a great point. That's right. That's what God has been saying to him, be of great courage. And and just to kind of connect this, how God is so faithful in this, in Joshua 14, verse number six and seven, we see here that they finally step in. And Caleb said to Joshua, remember what the Lord uh, said to Moses, the man of God, about about you and me when we were in uh, Kadesh Barnea. And he says, I was, in verse number seven, he says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant, sent me into uh, Kadesh uh, Barnea to experience and explore the land of Canaan. Isn't this amazing? In verse number eight, he says, my brother and I, we were frightened. We entered into the land of promise. I'll just skip through verse number 10. Now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised for for 45 years. So now here it is in a nutshell. Now here it is after the age of 40 going in to see the land. They come back with a great report. And these were the two guys 45 years later who stepped in and received the promise. And he says, listen, man, I'm 85 years old, 85 years old in verse number 10. Today, I'm 85 years old, verse number 11. And I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey. And I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. Hallelujah. And it's just a reminder. It's just a reminder. You know, Abraham teaches us that that you don't, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm coming off this passage just a little bit, but I'm just so excited because God gives us a promise and it always takes time, right? It takes seed time and harvest. So it takes time to harvest. And so Abraham, he receives the promise uh, around 75 years of age, right? He goes and around 80, about 12, 13 years later, he says, well, well, let's help God out, right? So, so Sarah, come on, bring, bring your maidservant here. And uh, maybe it wasn't between me and you. Uh, maybe we can, Hagar, maybe, maybe that's how God's going to do it. And then God comes to him and he says, listen, Abraham, for me, I've never stepped away from my promise. And my promise is between you and Sarah. And then now 25 years later, he gives birth. And so the question becomes, how long are we willing to wait to achieve and to see the promises of God in our lives? Why? Why is this so important? Because the promise that was given to Abraham was not just for his life, but it was for generations to come. This promise that Joshua and Caleb stood on, it was for generations to come. And I believe that each and every one of us have a promise connected to our lives, not just for our lives, but for the generations to come. And we must be willing. So as a pastor, when you, when you pastor people, how do you help them to identify their specific and unique promise? Yeah, absolutely. So I do believe that there is the will of God that is connected to the overall mission of the word of God. But then there are specific purposes and and specific things that God is leading us to do on our day-to-day basis. I also teach that God 
wants to use you right where you are, that we all have pulpits and platforms that God has given us. So whether you work at Burger King or whether you're a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, that there is a mission and that is to be faithful to the Lord. That is to be faithful to God. That is to be to walk upright before him, to pursue being righteous before him, to find your righteousness in him and to live out the tenets of, I mean, just of the great commandments uh, that we ought to love one another, that God gets the honor and the glory when we love one another, when we honor each other, when we work as unto the Lord, right? That when we go to our jobs, that we're not just seeing this as a waste of time, but you're here for a purpose and on purpose. This day that the time that we're living in, I believe that we're only given, you know, life is but a vapor here today, gone tomorrow. And so we ought to be living every moment trying to fulfill the Ten Commandments, the, the, the great uh, lessons of the Torah, that God is faithful and that he does both. He gives us big vision and he also gives us daily vision. And they only make sense together. Yes, absolutely. And they, they speak to one another. That's right. They speak to one another. I tell people this too, you know, some, I, I may have some ag- agnostic friends and, and, and some, some friends who walk away from, from faith. And I always tell them, I say, man, I'll just, I'll just say this. If I die tomorrow and there was no heaven or no paradise or no eternal life that I believe according to the Torah and the word of God, I would still want to live this life. Hmm. Great lens. I would still want to, I would do it all over again. I cannot imagine living a faithless life. Where, where's my hope? My hope can't, it, it just can't be on me. It can't be on, on my own ingenuity. I'm so limited. You know, I'm so, I, I don't have all the answers. All I know is all I know, right? Have you heard this statement, right? All you know is all you know, right? And hopefully tomorrow you learn some more and then you'll know some more. And so, and so my faith and my hope in the Lord and, and what God has done is also a faith and hope in what God is, is leading me to in this life and being a great husband and a great friend uh, and doing great things uh, in this world and, uh, and bringing great relief like you. You know, you've taken the resources that God has given you to make a difference. And so that's my greatest hope is that I can make a difference in people's lives. Every day I get a text or a phone call, somebody's going through something, whether it's a loss of a family member, um, whether it's a loss of job, whether they're in transition, whether they're fighting through depression and anxiety, which we all deal with from time to time. I just pray that uh, God would use me to encourage them, that we believe that uh, we're all created in the image and likeness of the Lord and that we all have purpose and that is to have dominion on this earth and not to uh, to be defeated. Well, these uh, these people you're referring to are so lucky to have you. You know, we have an expression in Judaism: um, a prisoner cannot free himself from prison. Wow! And uh, believe it's in the Talmud. And uh, to have uh, oh, open access to you through these phone calls and these texts is such a such a blessing. Now, speaking of something else in the Torah, when we were in Jerusalem together about a year ago. We went to um, Shabbat dinner on, at the rooftop of uh, United Hatzalah headquarters, and you fell in love with Shabbat. Yes, that night, and then we talked about it the subsequent day, and then. Before COVID, it was wonderful celebrating Shabbat as families together so many times. What about Shabbat spoke to you as a Christian? Yes, absolutely. 
Well, the uh, the book that you had given me, um, just this is the the, the Moxor, the basic, the basic, the how to for Shabbat, the blessing of the yes. wine, the bread, the blessing over the children, Ashes Chayal. That, yeah, that, that's that's the book. Yes, absolutely. And so I, I would say that in in Christianity, we have these things now. Everybody does small groups, so we come together, we worship, we 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 study the word and things of that nature. But what I love the most about uh, Shabbat was, of course, the frequency of it. That is something that we can do often, as well as we would bless our children and we would bless our, um, I would bless my wife. And it would be a time to invoke the angel of the Lord, the Holy Spirit of God into our home. Uh, and my kids have fallen in love with it. Uh, it's so funny. They just think Shabbat is going to your house. That's <laughs> They're like, are we going to Shabbat? Are we going to New York? Are we going to Shabbat? I'm like, no, we have Shabbat here. Like it's everywhere, <laughs> you know? Um, and so it's it's been a great time. And my kids have have really, really embraced it and, in, and enjoyed it. And I just love, I feel as a Christian that these are my roots. You know, I feel like I'm, you know, when you meet new family, you know, uh, family that you haven't seen in a while. And it's just like, yeah, let's just sit down. How you been? What's been going on? And it's just like, oh, and, and then you start to realize, oh, I didn't know why I do this, but this is why I do this because I didn't know I had a cousin who does the same thing and an uncle who, who you know, so you start seeing the resemblance, you know, and you start seeing, wow, this is what the Lord is doing. And I'm one who loves the narrative of the Old Testament other than the fact that it makes it great for, um, for great preaching, right? <laughs> you know, and great teaching. It certainly does. I, I love it. Um, and so it's, it's been an honor and a joy. And I, I look forward to the days, of he- uh, days ahead and uh, growing with you and your family and just my overall Jewish family and, and community because Jesus was not, it wasn't that he was a Jew, he is a Jew, which makes me a part of that family as well as Jewish Christian believers. Yeah, so so it's 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 been great. And uh, we look forward to getting with you guys again when you come back. And as as soon as it's possible, um, as soon as COVID ends, that that first Friday. Now I want to talk about a beautiful experience I had at your church when I spoke at, at your church in, in New Jersey. Now, when I got to the church, there were blankets on the ground <laughs> and Kleenex um, all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Tell us why were there blankets? Why were there Kleenex? Um, and this was just a, a regular Sunday. This was not a. This was wasn't Christmas. Wasn't Easter. It was a regular Sunday. So so you know we we believe you know like David who was who was a wild one too when he got into worship, he worshipped out of his clothes and his wife at the time looked at him like what are you doing? This is an embarrassment. But uh, but David understood you know the place that he had erected for the Lord. He was unashamed about worship and about praising God. And so uh, we we believe, you know, we're connected. Our church, we run with the House of Prayer ministry and our church and the House of Prayer. We're all about rebuilding the Tabernacle of David. Acts 15, as they were building the church of Jesus Christ, they were talking about what how we should do this, Peter, James, and John. And, uh, and that's one thing they talked about, that if we're going to build this, this faith-filled community that honors the Lord, we must make sure that it's built in the patterns of the tabernacle of David. And just having the heart of David, you know, that, that he was unashamed in his worship. And there are times it did move on his emotions. So we do have places where people can lay down in the temple 
right? Like David says, you know, one thing I desire and that I seek after, that's to dwell in the house of the Lord, to gaze upon his beauty in his tabernacle. And so if you want to come in and you want to lay down and pray, you can lay down and pray. If you want to lay down and not say anything, or some people, they cry, they cry out to the Lord. And so they can, they can wipe the tears from their eyes. And so it's just really more or less just a freedom. Of course, there's always boundaries to everything that we, we ask that people not be a distraction to others as people are finding their faith and worshiping. But at the same time, we, we just allow for people to be free uh, before the Lord. Because just like when the Ark of the Covenant was in Obed-Edom's house, everything changed. And so where God's presence is, we believe that that changes everything. So whatever that means for me, some people jump and shout and cry, uh, and we just allow that to happen. That doesn't always mean that that is the move of God, but sometimes that can be a part of what God does in prompting people when they have encounters with him. Not all of it is that. Right. I did see in your church, and I saw the same thing in uh, Bishop Stern's church. Um, yeah. They had Kleenex. I don't, I don't think they had blankets, but they, they had Kleenex. But it, it, similar concept in the sense that there were people who were kind of in this um, Davidic religious ecstasy that you speak about. And then prayer leaders just seemed to know exactly what to do. Well, they were prepared for it, which as, as if, as they probably do, do it each week. And they went right behind the person right in front of them to, to catch them and to ease their physical fall. And to be sure that they didn't fall back and hurt themselves which would have happened in their absence, presumably, right? And then, and then in your church, I, I saw that, yeah. and the, the prayer leaders um, gently helped them to the ground and put the blanket on the, on the worshipers who were worshiping in that way, which, as you say, was by no means everybody. It, was, it, was just a, it wasn't even a majority by any means. It was, probably, it was a few people. Yeah, absolutely. And some of that is right learned behavior that if we see people fall and things of that nature, they will help them. So that's kind of learned behavior that if somebody's falling, we'll catch them. What, what tends to happen is don't be drunk with wine. Uh, the Bible teaches us in the New Testament. It tells us not to be drunk with wine, but to also be filled with the Spirit. That there are times when it'll seem as if People are drunk or or weird, but they're they're what they're doing is they're just yielding themselves over. This is this is Hannah in early Samuel when she's when she's praying. Yes, yes, that yes, that oh come on, that's so good. Yeah, and so what it is is and well, Ellie, I think thought she was drunk, and then she says no, she was just in prayer, but from afar and not even that far. Yeah, it looked like she was in some kind of drunken stupor, but she was in a re- religious ecstasy. Absolutely. And so what it is, it's just a a yielding, a yielding to the Lord, a yielding to the moment. You know, yes, I've seen people come in and imitate other people. And it's, you know, people question, is that real? Is that fake? But I would, I would allow some of the fake because I also know that there's some real things. Absolutely. I saw the real. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And so, you know, uh, I've heard I've heard a great preacher say, I'll take some hamburger helper and some weirdness <laughs> just so that a couple of people can experience the real deal, you know. And so I've experienced it in my life, too, where I've had moments where I just sit down and just gaze upon his beauty, you know, and and I'm just sensing his presence to where I'm not I'm not conscious. I'm more conscious of what I'm experiencing than the things uh, outside of me. And that's what happens when you get drunk. You're so conscious of your drunkenness that you forget about, you're so inebriated that you forget about everything else. And of course, that's a negative thing. 
Uh, but there are times in positive ways where you can get so caught up, like you're in the zone. Athletes do it. People do it even in business where you may have a night creatively where you're in the zone and you're just, you're creating and you're just locked in. And so it is spiritually where you get in the zone where you're just uh, locked into the Lord and you can sense his presence and you're hearing his voice. And it may not be a natural, loud voice like this, how God speaks to me, he doesn't speak in a loud voice. He's, he nudges me. Well, it, it's Elijah. It's a still small voice. It's, it's not in the earthquake, not in the fire, but in the still small voice. Yeah, that still small voice. And, uh, and so, yeah, we were just raising up some, some folks, man, young and old. We're a multi-generational, multicultural church. And yeah, we're, we're just saying, come on, let's, let's. And after you have that, that moment in the presence of the Lord, let's get in the word. And so we have our small groups on Wednesday. Oh, very interesting. Let's let's study because we got to do both, right? We have to have encounters, revival, the wine of revival. And you also got to have the meat of God's word because that's what's going to sustain you. You can't just live off of the high. Um, you live off of God's word and knowing God's word so that you have a Rolodex when the mountains come in your life, which they will. It's not if, it's when, when they come in your life and you can say God did it before and God can do it again. Well, it was it was just beautiful and very memorable seeing how open and welcome your church was and Robert's church was to people in their most vulnerable moments where they could just come and be with the Lord as they needed to be with the Lord at that moment and that and that they were in a community of people who not just respected him but loved him for it and were there for them in, in that moment. It was just great to see. Yeah. That's what we're called to do, you know. And it's uh it's it's not easy. Uh it's a 24-hour job, but this is what we're called to do. My father also pastors uh a church and he's been pastoring for almost 30 years now, the church, but he's been doing ministries since he was 16 years old. You know, so it's 24-7, giving your life. It's it's truly a, a life-giving mission to carry others' burdens, which is not easy to do. But the word of God, the Torah teaches us that's what we should do. Why? Because our life is is but a vapor. We're here today and gone tomorrow, right? That's right. We're a flower, you know, that that is budded, but but soon is going to uh, be wiped away into eternity. So let's give our days and our numbers to something that's eternal and not something temporal. Enjoy the temporal. Come on, you can enjoy the temporal, uh, but give your life to something eternal. That's a, what a wonderful way to put it. And, and to end the first part of our discussion, uh, beautiful. Yes. And enjoy the temporal, but it's really all about the eternal where we're all, we're all going to. Now, the concluding question is all uh, a matter of going from one text, the sacred text of the Torah to another text, which is Andre Malraux's 1968 book, Anti-Memoir. And in this book, he says, I just uh, ran into this man with whom I served in this war. And he said, this man had saved a lot of Jews and then had become a priest. So I said to the priest, in all of your years of hearing confessions, what are two things that you've learned about mankind? And the priest said, the two things I've learned are, one, everyone is much less happy than he seems. Mm. And two, there is no such thing as a grown-up person. <laughs> I can agree with that, with both of those. And it's funny you say that last part. You got to send me that. That's, that's really good. I will. Because I always tell people, I always say that, that we're all, and my wife, she does counseling. Uh, that's, her, that's her background. But we're all living out our childhood, whether it was good or it was bad. We're all living out the childhood. And the same peer pressure that you felt when you were 13 is the same peer pressure at 35 when everybody's buying houses and having their 
second child it's the same peer pressure when when you're in your 50s and your friends are doing a certain thing and so in life we're getting older we're getting wiser but we're all still that little boy and that little girl that whether you're trying to please a dad you know and and dad is gone and you're now raising your kids maybe you're living out vicariously through them you know and i i just agree with that so so much yeah i, I agree it's a profound insight um yeah but if someone were to ask you um yes. okay so you, you've been a lead pastor as your father since a very young man what are two things in your pastoral career that that you've learned about mankind i would say number one that we're we're much more similar than different i believe that we're all that we're all pretty much the same and going through the same journey in life. We all find different ways of dealing with it, whether it's through faith, whether it's through uh, things that are around you or the things you put in your life. But I found that everybody's the same. Like, uh, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, a wise man said, right? And so that's, that's one thing that I've learned is that we're all pretty much the same, same journey in life. And what I would say, uh, number two, that I've learned the most is that is that life is is challenging without faith. That life is is extremely difficult. I'm 37 years old, so I'm I'm guess I'm still in that. I'm shifting more and more into into more maturity, and so I'm seeing you know my grandparents have passed away. Watching literally watching my parents get older in front of my eyes now in their 60s. And so I'm seeing that that life is hard and and my faith is all that I have in order for me to be a great friend and a great husband. Yes, you can be good without faith, but I believe that um, in, in order to truly, not just in action, but from the heart and to truly be a great husband, a great friend, I need my faith in the Lord. So hopefully that's, uh, that's good. It's great. Well, George, thank you so much for, for everything that you do and for your, your, your great friendship. You're an inspiration to so many, including me. And, uh, thank you for everything, including coming on the rabbi's husband. Thank you so, so much. You and your wife, Erica, and your children are amazing. And, uh, I'm just, I'm just eager to to continue to build and uh, a great relationship with you. Absolutely, me too. Overall community in the days ahead. So thank you so much. You are-